In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. God willing, today we're going to continue in our study of comparative religions. Um, last week we started the series um, speaking about Orthodox Christianity. Um, God willing, we'll also cover many of the other major world religions uh, moving forward in the series. Um, just to kind of briefly recap some of the points that we touched on last time. We spoke about Christianity, the Bible, um, and how we believe that it is inspired by God and infallible, and that God did not dictate it word by word to um, the church, but it was given um, through inspiration of all of the authors, written over a period of about 1,600 years by 40 different authors. We also spoke about the nature of God, who God is. God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We spoke about the nature of man, of how God created man in perfection, um, and then because of the fall of man, the sin of man against God, there came um, corruption and sin, and we spoke about the nature of sin and how it brings death and separation from God. Today, um, I'm going to speak about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, starting from, from here. So we believe that man, Adam and Eve, was deceived by the jealous deception of the serpent, the devil, and by disobeying God's command, man sinned and separated himself from God. Instead of plucking for himself a fruit that is good to eat, man plucked for himself the thorn of death. So when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he put before them the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he told them, you may eat of the tree of life, but if you eat of the um, tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And we touched on this a little bit last time. Um, and this was through the deception of, of Satan that he told Eve that, no, you will not die. And they went ahead and they ate of the tree. So even from the time of the, the garden, at the time of the fall, God told, uh, God, God told uh, Adam and Eve that there will come, he referred to him as the seed, the seed of the woman, capital S, S-E-E-D, the seed of the woman, meaning one of the descendants of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, okay? One of the descendants of the woman, the seed of the woman, will crush the head of the serpent. And this was a prophecy about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that even in the very like time of the fall, the plan of salvation through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ was already in motion, right? It was already in motion. This is something that God, obviously, with his foreknowledge, he already knew that this was going to happen. And he already had in his plan from the beginning the, the, the plan of salvation, of redemption uh, of humanity back again through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ who was to come later. Out of God's immense and infinite love, the good shepherd, the gentle healer, the Logos, son of God, was incarnate and took the form of a servant. He gave himself up unto death on the cross and descended into Hades and freed the souls of all the righteous and restored mankind to God once again. The, the reason that this is important, okay, is because from the very beginning, we know that sin brings death and separation from God. So when uh, man sinned against God, there, there by necessity came death. It was the consequence. It was the consequence of sin the separation from God. And so there became this separation. It's not just the fact that this was like, uh, like, like it, it was a punishment, but it was also a natural consequence. It was a natural consequence of sin, okay? So it wasn't like um, God could just go 
and tell them, okay, well, I forgive you for, for what you have done, and let's just pretend none of this happened, and we'll just go back to the way that things were, okay? Because the consequences cannot simply be erased, the consequences of what they did. So when they became separated from God, they, they had to be some kind of solution. If God wanted to bring them back to himself, if God wanted to restore them, there had to be some kind of solution. And the solution that God, uh, that God made was to be incarnate himself, and to live the life as a, as a human. So he being perfectly God and perfectly human at the same time, living sinlessly, right? So if we say that the wages of sin is death, God's son incarnate as a human being, he did not live with any sin. He lived sinlessly. So he did not deserve death, right? He did not deserve death because he lived without sin. So he took the consequence or the punishment of death that we are supposed to have, which is the punishment of, of death and eternal separation from him. He took that punishment of death on himself so that we could be redeemed and freed from it. Okay, so, so this is why he, he couldn't just have like undone it. He couldn't have just gone into the you know, from the beginning and says, okay, well, let's try again. Because the wages of sin is death. For God to be fully just and to follow through with what it is that he had said from the beginning, he can't just go and cancel the consequences that were put in place from the beginning when he told Eve that if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. But he made a path forward. I heard like an analogy that kind of like captures this a little bit. Like the analogy goes like this. Like there would be a, a father who tells his son that, you know, he, he, there's a certain chore or something that he has to do in the house. And if that if he doesn't do it, if he doesn't do what he's supposed to do, then he has to sleep in the attic. Okay, so this is like a rule that the father gave. And so when it comes time, the son disobeys the father. He doesn't do what he's been asked to do. So the only just thing the father can do is to carry out the consequence that he said would be carried out, even though the father doesn't want his son to sleep in the attic. But because he said that this was the consequence, he can't just go back on it. Because then that would make him, you know, not, not just. That would make him kind of not honest in what he is saying. Once he says it, he has to, he has to follow through with it. So he decides that he will, um, he's going to have his son sleep in the attic, but he also will go sleep with him in the attic, right? So it's like the son is, 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 is still in, he's enduring a consequence, but the father is taking the consequence away in the sense that you're not going to be alone, right? Christ died for us so that we do not have to endure the consequences of that eternal death and separation from God. Also, this um, redemption happened immediately. Okay, It happened immediately on the cross, after the cross, after the Lord died. This is why it is at that moment that uh, the Lord went down into Hades. So we believe that after he died on the cross, his spirit went into Hades and redeemed and brought out of Hades all of those righteous people who had died in the Old Testament but because there was no redemption, because everyone was separated from God, there was no way for them to go to paradise. Paradise was closed in the Old Testament. So the Lord went down into Hades and he brought up the souls of those people who were righteous and he brought them up to paradise, opened the doors of paradise, and they entered into paradise for the first time. This happened, why? It happened because of the work of redemption that the Lord did on the cross, not because of their righteous deeds, right? Because those people... If they had salvation through their works, through their righteous deeds, then they could have had that salvation even before the cross, even before the Lord Christ was incarnate. But they didn't, right? They waited. He, Christ, only on the cross, was he able to save and redeem them. Um, 
we now have this opportunity, being now in the New Testament, to either choose to accept the work of redemption that the Lord Jesus Christ did on our behalf, and for those who choose it, they go and become baptized, they partake of the sacraments, they, they believe in the Lord Christ in faith, they do the good deeds and, and that, that Christ wants us to do. And this is the way of accepting on ourselves the redemptive work um, of Christ for our salvation. He took what is ours, which is the death, and he gave us what is his, right? He is the source of life. He gave us life and took the death that, that we ourselves have reaped for ourselves. Like a father who gladly goes to the enemy's territory to ransom his lost child who has been kidnapped by the enemy. The only one who could accomplish this saving work needed to be human with our nature and divine to redeem all sin, past and present. We find this only in our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he was fully God being sinless, but he was also fully human. Being fully human, he had the full human experience, and so he could save and redeem us and sanctify us um, as, as humans. Our Lord Jesus Christ is God himself, the incarnate Logos, who took to himself a complete manhood. So the Lord Jesus Christ, he is coessential with God the Father, meaning he is God. He did not come after God the Father. He is not of a different nature than God the Father. He is God just as the Father is God, just as the Holy Spirit is God. And this was um, one of the, the very big heresies um, in the early church, um, which was some people, or this Arius was saying that, um, that, uh, that Christ was not actually God, but he was a creation. He was a creation of God, not being God himself. And this is a, a, a heresy that plagued the church for a while to the point where most people became Arian. And then... Um, St. Athanasius the Apostolic, he came and refuted this heresy. He convinced everyone that no, actually, if the Lord Jesus Christ was not God, then his work of salvation would not work. We, we, he could not save us if he was not God. If he was just another creation, not God himself, then he could not, his death on the cross would not be redemptive for us. Okay? So he, um, he, told, uh, he, he convinced the world that the Arian heresy was wrong and that the Lord Jesus Christ is, is God and coessential with the Father of one nature and one essence with the Father. His divine nature is united with his human nature in complete hypostatic union. So we use the word hypostatic union to refer to the union of the divine nature of the Logos, the Son of God, to the human nature that he took from St. Mary. Right? The flesh, the human flesh that he had, he took from St. Mary because he was born of her. And the, the, the divine nature is his as God, without mingling, without confusion, alteration, or separation. Meaning the two natures are distinct in themselves, right? The, the, the divine nature remained fully divine. The human nature remained fully human. Furthermore, the unity between the two natures occur, uh, occurred without transmutation. Thus, neither the divine nature transmutes to the human nature, nor did the human nature transmute to the divine. Okay, so they, they remain distinct. Regarding the Holy Spirit, we believe that since God's desire is to restore man to his original state before the fall, not only did he purchase man with his precious blood as the son, but he also sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within each one of us after the chrismation with the holy oil, which occurs after baptism. The work of the Holy Spirit is the work in the church and the work in us as individuals. Christ redeemed us 
and sent the Holy Spirit to continue with us in our journey as Christians in the world. So we receive the Holy Spirit in chrismation, which happens right after baptism, and the Holy Spirit that is in us continues to work in us for the, for, for the purpose of sanctification, for guidance, for conviction from sin, um, and, and, and all of the sacraments that are in the church through the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So the Holy Spirit is active in the church on a daily basis and in each of us as individuals today. The Holy Spirit is God within us to guide us, convict us, comfort us, and to lead us back to his kingdom. Regarding salvation, we believe that salvation is a lifelong process and does, that it does not occur in a moment. Okay? Um, some Christian traditions, when they speak about salvation, they believe that salvation happens at a point in time. Like at a point in time when a person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, that in that very moment they receive the Holy Spirit and that salvation is, is complete and, and, and nothing else needs to be done and that salvation is, is offered for the rest of their life without any additional work that needs to be done. It's, a, it's, a, it's salvation in a moment. Okay, salvation in a moment. We don't believe in salvation in a moment. We believe that salvation is a process. The salvation starts with baptism and continues throughout our life through all of the sacraments, through confession, through taking communion, through doing good works, and so on. It is not that I can just be baptized and then I completely like stop or, or leave the church or stop completely any spiritual activities and that I believe that I still have salvation. So salvation, as far as the Orthodox understanding, it can be lost, whereas salvation in some of like the Protestant understandings, many of the Protestant churches believe in the doctrine of eternal security, which essentially means that once you are saved, you are saved forever. Okay, so we, we, we do not believe that. We believe salvation is a process. We believe that one becomes sanctified, which occurs after the sacraments of baptism and chrismation. Sanctification is the process by which we are made holy over time through the course of our life, through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And this is where we see, like we say, what would Jesus do, right? Like this is the process of becoming like Jesus. This is the, prov this is the process of becoming more patient, becoming more loving, becoming more forgiving, becoming kinder, becoming more generous. All the fruit of the Spirit that we, that we speak about um, uh, that should be kind of the characteristics of Christianity, those things come upon us as we partake of this Christian life and go through this process of sanctification from the time of our baptism up until the end of our life. This is what sanctification is about, right? And so sanctification and salvation are, are kind of intertwined together. That, that our salvation comes from our, our continual work of repentance, our continual work of the participating in the sacraments. And through this process, we are sanctified. We are, we are being changed. The Holy Spirit purifies us and, 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 and takes us from glory to glory. We believe that baptism gives us the opportunity for salvation, and we believe that salvation is by the grace from our Lord and not by works, but we believe that salvation without works is impossible, for since faith without works is dead. Okay, this is from the book of St. James where he's speaking about the relationship between faith and works. What does it mean to have faith? When we say that we believe that salvation is by faith, that faith is not just like a, 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 an academic faith or a mental faith or a, or a belief in a certain set of facts. Like, I believe these set of facts. Like, somebody just says, well, I believe in the creed. Okay, that is a kind of faith. But the kind of faith that we're talking about goes beyond just a belief in certain facts, and it becomes a life. Like, I believe certain facts, and for that reason, I live a certain way. I make certain decisions. 
and I don't make other decisions. It, so that faith is manifested in my life, and that's why St. James says, show me your faith by your works, and that faith without works is dead. There is no way to, have, to say that I have faith just by listing out you know, bullet points of here are the things that I, that I believe without seeing those practiced in life, right? Without seeing those practiced in, in, in real life. Also through baptism, we become children of God. And this is very important. Like St. Paul, we're studying the book of Galatians in the Bible study. St. Paul talks about how in baptism, we are now able to call out to God as Father. We say, what? Abba, Father. Without baptism, we cannot refer to God as Father. Because th that, that's exactly what he said. Without baptism, we are estranged from God. We are separated from God. Even actually the, in the baptism prayers that we pray, even on a child, okay, the, the priest says, when you were born, you were a slave and not free. Speaking to the child, you are a slave and not free. But now through baptism, you have become free. Now you have, you have uh, the adoption, right? St. Paul speaks about that we have been adopted by God through baptism. Adopted means we used to not be sons of God, and now we have become sons of God. And one of the beautiful like, meditations about this that we find actually in the Holy Liturgy. If you notice the liturgy, like the beginning of the divine liturgy that starts at the prayer of reconciliation, okay, like right after the sermon. Okay, they say that's the beginning of the divine liturgy. All the way up until the fraction. The fraction is where the priest breaks the, the, the bread on the altar, which represents the crucifixion. Okay, So all of this process from the, the beginning of the divine liturgy all the way up until the breaking of the bread, we don't say the Our Father prayer a single time. Because we are not yet, like, like the liturgy is like, uh, like, like, like it's like the, the, the reenactment of the works of salvation, right? And so at the very end, when the, the fraction is happening representing the crucifixion, that immediately after that is where we say our Father for the first time. Because we now are referring to God as Father because he has redeemed us, because he has given us salvation, because now we have access to him through the sacrament of baptism and that we can become his adopted sons and daughters. It doesn't mean that God did not love us before. He's always loved us. We are the ones who separated ourselves from him, and so we no longer had access to him the way that God intended from the beginning. Adam and Eve, they, could, they spoke about how God was walking with them in the garden, and they were with him, and they could hear his voice audibly when he spoke to them. After that, there became a separation. They, God was no longer walking amongst the people like that anymore. And God now did not speak directly to the people, but he spoke through prophets. There were certain people that God would speak to, and those prophets would then communicate to the rest of the people about God. There became like a, like the, 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 there wasn't direct access to God, okay, in that sense. After our redemption through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we now have direct access to God again. We now can pray to God directly again. We don't need a prophet anymore, right, to be like an intermediary between us and God and we can hear the words of God directly through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So through baptism, we gain this relationship of being adopted sons of God. Regarding angels, we believe that God created the angels as servant spirits to serve him and his creation. And actually the angels were created even before mankind was created. 
We believe that Satan was once a beautiful, powerful angel and that he was able to have one third of the original angels join him in his rebellion against God when he desired to sit on his throne. We believe that there are good, holy angels that serve our Lord. So angels were ministering spirits that God created in heaven to serve him. But there was a rebellion in heaven led by Lucifer, who is now we refer to him as Satan, who rebelled against God, wanted to take the place of God, and they were cast out of heaven, and, and he became Satan, and, and all his other angels that were with him, they all became the demons. And this is now kind of the spiritual warfare that we have because Satan is angry toward God, and he is jealous for all of the blessings that we are receiving from God, so he wants to destroy us. This is why he wants to destroy us. We speak about the envy of the devil. He envies us. But there are good angels, right, the ones that did not rebel. We believe that God created the angels with different ranks for different functions. Some are archangels, like Michael, the commander of the host of the Lord. So he is like the, the, the leader of the angels. And Gabriel, God's messenger to man. We see Archangel Gabriel come to earth um, different times in order to bring messages um, to, to humanity. For instance, we know Gabriel was the one who announced the birth of Christ. Gabriel was also the one who announced the birth of St. John the Baptist. Some are angels created to praise and to minister to our Lord forever without ceasing, like the cherubim and the seraphim. There are also other ranks of angels, thrones, principalities, authorities, dominions, and powers. We mention all these ranks of the angels in the liturgy. We also believe that God in his great mercy and love for mankind has appointed a guardian angel for every human being who is born. So we believe that each person has a guardian angel. And that guardian angel is like responsible for each of us to help us and to aid us in our spiritual struggles. Regarding the church, we believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church who is the bride and the body of Christ comprised of both the struggling church as well as the victorious. So these um, attributes of the church, the church is one, you know, and sadly now when we speak about the church, we speak about denominations. You know, are you Orthodox? Are you Catholic? Are you Protestant? Many different types of Protestantism and non-denominationalism and all these different versions of Christianity that all believe different things. This is not how God intended for there to be church. The church is one. There is only one church. This is how God intended it to be. The church is holy because it is sanctified by God, because the Holy Spirit dwells in it. It is holy. It is Catholic. This is Catholic with a small c, not the big c. Right? Catholic means universal, right? meaning it is the church everywhere, right? It's not isolated or located only in one place, but it is everywhere. And it is apostolic because it was founded by the apostles, and we trace ourselves all the way back to that time, and, and the priesthood in the church traces itself back to Christ himself. Christ is the one who ordained the apostles. The apostles ordained the disciples beneath them, and so on and so on and so on. And so all of the bishops, all of the priests can trace their ordinations back to Christ himself it is an apostolic church and we speak about how the church is the is the body of Christ is the bride of Christ in relationship and union with God we also speak about the struggling church and the victorious church so we make no distinction between heaven and earth right the distinction between heaven and earth is like in our minds but it is not the reality there is no distinction between heaven and earth so we are the struggling church because we are still in the world that is full of sin and corruption and death, and we are still struggling. We're struggling here, right? But we come to the church to worship God in, in our struggle. 
The victorious church is the church in heaven. Those who have already departed and gone to heaven and who are worshiping God and praising God in heaven that we are united with. One of the reasons that we put icons in the church is because it reminds us of the victorious church. We look at the, the, these people who lived, who were once part of the struggling church and now are a part of the victorious church. And we look forward to joining them in heaven to be part of the victorious church with them. We believe that the doctrines of the church were taught and delivered from our Lord Jesus Christ himself to our fathers, the apostles, who in turn handed the tradition as they received it to the early church fathers, who in turn handed it down as they received it without change to those who followed them and so on throughout all generations. So there is a big emphasis of holy tradition in the church. We mentioned this a little bit last time and we have a whole series about that, about the holy tradition. The teachings of the church that encompass everything. You can see tradition as like encompassing all the teaching of the church. Part of that teaching is written in the Bible. Not all of the teachings are written in the Bible. Many of the things that Christ taught the apostles were not written down in the Bible, but they were implemented and passed down through the apostles and to their disciples and so on from the very beginning, which is why we use the early church and the writings of the early church fathers as a reference for how is it that we should believe today right? Because we go back to them. This is the, the source of our faith, what Christ, did is, what Christ established in the early church. We believe that our church tradition today is the exact same tradition handed down from our Lord Jesus Christ, while some of the practices may have changed, and we believe that it is our utmost important duty to pass down to those after us the tradition which we received without adding anything to it or subtracting anything from it. So we believe that the faith was delivered once and for all to the saints, meaning God delivered the fullness of all of our faith at the beginning, at the time of the apostles, and this is what he wants us to live with. This is what he wants us to learn from, to practice, to teach our next generation, and so on. We do not believe in a, in a concept called doctrinal, doctrinal progression or development of doctrine, which means that God reveals new truths over time. This is contrary to the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church believes in doctrinal progression, which is why you'll see that different doctrines in the Catholic Church um, were added over time that were not there from the beginning, like purgatory, for instance. This is a belief of the Catholic Church. At one time, the Catholic Church was part of the Orthodox Church. So at one time, the Catholic Church, which was the Church of Rome, was part of the Orthodox Church, had the same faith as all the rest of the Orthodox Church. But then after it separated from the Orthodox Church, there started to be changes and additions that were incorporated in the Church over time. Purgatory, infallibility of the Pope, Immaculate Conception, and some of these things very recent. Like in the 1800s, for instance, this is when the concept of Immaculate Conception was added. Immaculate Conception is the belief that St. Mary was born without original sin, right? The church never considered this, never, never believed this prior to this, right? But then over time, this belief started to develop, and it was formalized in that time in the 1800s, which is relatively recently, um, as being a doctrine of the church. The Orthodox Church doesn't work that way. We don't, we don't consider that there's some new uh, point of faith that God reveals at a point in time later. We believe that the fullness of the faith was given at the time of Christ and in the early church. And so our role is not to discover new things. 
our goal is to preserve what it is that we have received um, from the church. We believe that the church is the pillar and foundation for the faith and that salvation outside the church is like survival outside Noah's Ark impossible. The church is a place of safety, right? The church is a place that protects us spiritually from the temptations that are in the world and God provides the church for us as a way of uh, maintaining and keeping our faith. Regarding the last things or the end times, we believe that the end of uh, at the end of time, at a time that only God the Father knows, our Lord Jesus Christ will come again on a cloud and all mankind will be able to see him and to have no doubt that it is him. So the second coming, when we speak about the second coming, we believe that the Lord Christ will come physically in a form we can see him in the sky and we will recognize that this is him. We will recognize that this is the Lord Jesus Christ and we are looking forward to this time because this is really, all of our hope is in this. All of our hope is in this. You know, sometimes we, we find ourselves afraid of this moment, afraid of the end. But actually, this is the whole reason we should be living, is for this moment. Nothing in this life is worth it. Nothing in this life is good compared to that moment, compared to being with God in eternity. So we should re direct all of our effort and all of our focus to prepare ourselves for this moment, because whether or not we are alive on the earth when the second coming happens, for each of us, the second coming is when we die. That is our second coming, essentially. That's when, you know, the that's when we have no more opportunities to change, make any new decisions or change anything about our life. We're preparing ourselves for that moment. We believe that the books will be open and the deeds, whether good or bad, of each human being will be read and that our Lord Jesus Christ will judge each of us according to his or her deeds and according to his or her faith in him and will either set them on his right hand to inherit the kingdom of God, which was prepared for them before the foundation of the earth, or he will cast them into eternal hell, which is separation from him forever. We believe that it is not our place to predict this time, but to always be ready for this time. So God speaks about the judgment day. And in the judgment day, God will look at all of our deeds, and he will judge what is our eternal future going to look like. Where is it that we are going to be? What is going to be the outcome of the life that we have lived? And also, in this, the scripture makes it clear that no one knows when this day is going to happen. It might happen tomorrow. It might happen in 10,000 years. We have, we have no idea. God gave us some indications of things to look forward to for, you know, for, for this determining maybe when the time is approaching. But even in the time of the New Testament, you know, um, Christ spoke about how the end is near. And that was 2,000 years ago. So just the idea of it being near doesn't necessarily mean near in human terms, right? In, 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 in the eyes of God, 2,000 years is nothing. So, so we should be prepared at all times, but we don't know when it is that that it will be. This is just a very, very quick and fast overview of many different concepts about Orthodox Christianity. We have not tried to go into a lot of details about any of them. Most of these things, we've talked about them in the past in other series, and that's also on our, our YouTube channel. But this is just to give a very broad understanding. God willing, next week, we will start speaking about Judaism. And Judaism is very interesting because Christianity is built on Judaism, right? Like Judaism was 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 the religion that God established prior to the coming of Christ. And we see a lot of parallels and a lot of symbolism in Judaism that was pointing to something that was fulfilled in Christ. God willing, next week we will um, we will discuss that. 
Any questions before we conclude? Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day, for your blessing, for everything that you have done for us. We thank you, O Lord, for our faith, for the church. We thank you, O God, for all those who came before us to preserve the faith, faith for us and prepared the way, O Lord, so that we can be here to worship your holy name. We thank you, O Lord, for this blessing you have given us and every blessing. We ask, O God, that you grant us the forgiveness of our sins and to help us to motivate us to walk, in, uh, to walk continually and patiently forward, O Lord, to, toward your kingdom. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.